The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at itztiger.music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the Block Hash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out Blockhash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new, where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting, all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash Blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, February 24th, episode 111-111. This week, I have CEO of Fireblocks, Michael Shalav. Fireblocks is pretty cool. They actually help streamline exchanges, OTC, custodians, and etc. into one platform for institutions. These institutions are using Fireblocks to move funds securely in seconds and not have to go through that hassle. So it makes the process super easy. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode and get a better insight into how institutions themselves, you know, move their money in and out of crypto and how they manage that. So with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, Fireblocks, and Michael himself. Enjoy. And we're on. Michael, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course. How's your day going? How's your week? It's going well. You know, busy times. Uh, the market is uh, expanding quickly and uh, up and down. Uh, but uh, yeah, there is a, a really good momentum that I think keeps everybody busy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting time that we're living in. Huh? We had quite a 2020 and then 2021 is... January's felt like it's been an entire year. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Anyways, tell me a little bit about um, yourself. Give me a little bit about your story, your backgrounds, whatever's most relevant so that my audience can get an idea of who you are and you know where you've come from and what you've done. I spent the last two decades in the, in the cybersecurity space, basically Started about 20 years ago in the in the Israeli Cyber Command uh, as part of my uh, military duty there. And um, over time, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, started my previous company, which was focused on mobile security. So um, we were basically serving the enterprise sector. Uh, if, uh, if folks still remember, there, was, there were days that uh, people were starting to buy iPhones and Android devices and sort of transition from the old Nokia phones and uh, maybe some mm-hmm. of the folks in the audience don't you know they, they, they're too young to remember those days but it actually happened and then uh, people uh, ask their IT to basically connect those uh, those uh, smartphones to their corporate networks and uh, get their email and apps and uh, whatnot on the on those phones and documents and uh, it was very challenging days for the for the IT to basically open their networks so we created sort of the first solution for them to manage this and uh, to secure the phones from uh, cyber attacks, from malware and um, you know, mm-hmm. rogue Wi-Fi's and that kind of stuff. 
Um, so we had a pretty good run, you know, uh, we're mostly dealing with uh, fortune 500 companies like you know, Inter semiconductors and Geico, Samsung and some of those guys. And eventually in 2015, we got acquired by, uh, one of the biggest uh, cybersecurity vendors uh, called uh, Checkpoint. So Checkpoint is a $20 billion company that uh, acquired my previous company. And for about three years, I was running their mobile and cloud security portfolio, which was essentially their, their transformational uh, portfolio. That was sort of, um, I guess, the first half of uh, my career uh, before I uh, got myself into the crypto, you know, cryptocurrency and digital asset uh, ecosystem. Yeah. What, what got you excited about crypto and digital assets, I guess, more specifically that made you want to work in this space, in this industry? Yeah. So, so it's actually a pretty interesting story and probably very different from how most people uh, got involved in, uh, in, in this space. So what happened is that in 2017, when I was still at Checkpoint, there was a pretty mm -hmm. significant incident in South Korea where four cryptocurrency exchanges got hacked over there. And basically $200 million disappeared from the wallet and reappeared in North Korea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, but by the way, like, not a like, good place for it to reappear. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, usually when things get hacked, they reappear either there or somewhere in, in, in Eastern Europe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, it was actually quite an interesting, uh, story to tell there. Uh, you know, funny enough, I think that those $200 million, I think Bitcoin was worth, uh, $1,000 back then. So, uh, in current mm -hmm. value, what is it? It's, uh, it's about a billion, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. A million. Yeah. So a pretty significant, uh, sum of money that, uh, was stolen over there. And some of those exchanges actually went under because of the, the hack. Um, so we, we got, basically we were part of the investigation team, uh, clearly because of the background, our team was the world-class, uh, experts in the, doing uh, forensics on, uh, on uh, mobile-related uh, attacks because part of the infiltration that occurred over there was basically through the mobile devices of the employees. So we did some of the forensics, and actually this is sort of how I got uh, my first interaction. Now, what was actually pretty amazing about uh, that particular hack is that uh, this group from North Korea that basically attacked those exchanges, or at least who we believe those guys were, it's a group called the Lazarus Group, and for many, many years, they were sort of notoriously known to attack financial systems. Uh, and, and to be honest, it's also very unique uh, because just like from a geopolitical standpoint, mm -hmm. most of the nation state cyber actors, they actually don't go after, you know, uh, money. Okay, they go after information, they go after intelligence, they go after military targets, uh, diplomatic targets, and so on. But the North Koreans, because of the sanctions that uh, are imposed on their, their countries, they specifically basically going after uh, um, financial targets. And a year before that hack, that same group actually hacked SWIFT and they were able to divert a pretty significant flow in the traditional financial system of about a billion dollar that eventually they were able to shuffle out about uh, $80 million uh, from several casinos in, in Southeast uh, Asia. And there was also a very significant hack that they mount on ATM machines worldwide. So long story short, for me, um, when I basically stumbled into it, um, 
although it was conducted by uh, something that is definitely not a legit activity, you actually seen a pretty major actor so already, you know, almost four years ago, shifting from using traditional financial rails to this new form of uh, uh, financial asset. And, you know, from their perspective, clearly it was equivalent, those Bitcoins were equivalent to, uh, in nature, to what, uh, you know, uh, the cash that you could uh, extract from SWIFT. Um, so that sort of triggered my, my interest to dig more into the into this space. And what I realized that this is really a transformative technology for for the financial for for the financial space and particularly for the financial institutions. And this is essentially going to replatform everything that we know today about finance. Um, and uh, it's a much more efficient, scalable, and transparent technology. And you know, we basically started to talk with a lot of the financial institutions that were either already players in the cryptocurrency space, or for example, banks that were exploring black blockchain. Um, and, and that's sort of what, what dragged us into this, uh, I think, amazing journey of uh, creating a, a platform and an infrastructure for those institutions to operate at scale, uh, operate uh, you know, with efficiency with this new asset class and basically help them to, to replatform their infrastructure. Gotcha. How are you leveraging this new asset class, you know, for institutions? It's, it's interesting, right? So when we started the company, which was basically in 2018, the main, mm-hmm. uh, the main, cl- the main clients that we were able to attract were already pretty significant and big players uh, that were uh, trading or working with cryptocurrencies, right? So our first two clients mm-hmm. were uh, Genesis Global Trading and Galaxy and uh, GSR and a few of those really big market makers and OTC desks that were trading uh, millions and billions of dollars. And they just had to have access to the best and most efficient uh, infrastructure for them to continue and, uh, and scale and operate uh, without either hiring another 100 people for their operation team or um, you know creating insecurities in, in their procedures. And then you know this sort of expanded, right? Uh, we, we went uh, into many, many other use cases, uh, including banks and neobanks that are currently allowing their, their customers to invest in cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, but also, financial institutions from the FX space like uh, GMO and others that basically utilizing stable coins, right? So a lot of the use cases that we currently working on with, uh, you know, banks and, and, and brokers and, uh, and, and um, broker dealers is around tokenized assets that are, you know, essentially bringing tra- traditional financial assets into the blockchain, into the public blockchains mm-hmm. in the form of stable coins, which is basically tokenized, uh, dollar or tokenized effects, um, you know, tokenized securities that uh, we're basically bringing in their private placements or public placements into, into, uh, I- into the blockchain. Um, so I think that overall, while still probably 50% of our activity is still with cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, with our clients, we see a continuous expansion into the, what I think is, is some of the most uh, innovative and important use cases uh, that uh, you know th- that are not mm-hmm. only the future of this space but it's really 
the replatforming and the shift in the infrastructure of uh, traditional financial institutions such as banks and uh, you know exchanges and so on. Absolutely. You know, I tell people all the time because a lot of people will ask me, hey, should I invest in Bitcoin? Should I invest in Ethereum or Cardano or Ripple or whatever? And I'm like, probably, but like with the real money, like the real use cases and stuff, it's going to be at the level of, you know, tokenization and NFTs and what you can do with tokens and um, the, the things you can do on blockchain, not just the blockchain itself. Because you know, so many people, they think of it just from an investment standpoint, not from a utility standpoint. Um, and it's it's really interesting what you can do with digital assets. It's one of the things that excites me the most because it's so diverse, you know, and it's just kind of one area. Um, and when you say you tokenize assets or are you talking about like tokenized securities or physical land or data or what specifically, you know, are these companies wanting in terms of, you know, a digital asset or a tokenized digital asset or whatever it may be? Yeah. So, so first of all, I agree with you. I think that this is probably the most exciting uh, part. And I think this was also always the vision, right. For, for uh, mm-hmm. what this is going to be at the end of the day, investing in I- investing in ETH, uh, is uh, interesting, but it's speculative, right? And the speculation over there mm-hmm. is really around, it, eventually when you basically drill down into what that speculation means, it's actually a question of how many assets uh, will be tokenized on um, ETH, right? Because the, the value of Ethereum on the long run will be a reflection of the utilization of the smart contract language and the, and the, and the, all that kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that, uh, th- this is, this is essentially the, the, what, what we are seeing now in terms of what we, what we are seeing being tokenized, it, it really interesting to see how this sort of, uh, um, distributed or basically fragmented between different um, d- different actors right mm-hmm. now if you look mostly on banks right the banks that most of the banks are really interested on uh, interested in two main use cases the first use case is really uh, tokenized securities right so this is those are the assets that they currently have on their balance sheet and they're asking them the question of uh, how do we sort of move either some of those assets by the way like we see it from banks we see it from clearing houses and uh, mm. from the from national depositories and so on so this is sort of like the top of the top of the, of the players in the in the financial system and they're basically asking okay how do we bring those assets into the blockchain and either we do uh, uh like a direct uh, tokenization or you know, it's uh, an asset-backed uh, tokenization where there is actually a physical asset, but then and uh, there is a digital representation or there is only digital representation. Um, the other form, which I think is really exciting, is basically the stablecoin use case. Over there, there is, again, I see more and more banks that are uh, considering of issuing, uh, you know, bank-level uh, stablecoin to basically, I guess, in some way, this intermediate uh, solutions like uh, you know swift and ach to basically allow um a free flow of payments and remittance especially you know across countries uh, cross border but also you know bo- bo- also on a national level 
Um, but we also see quite a lot of really interesting projects that are happening from the crypto native uh, players. So there are a lot of really interesting fintech companies that are coming with really unique use cases, right? We've seen people that are tokenizing, uh, for example, staking. Uh, so we have a we have a customer called uh, Stakehound that <laughs> what they do, which is really interesting, is that uh, um, you you know you always have this sort of uh, I guess, you know, um, uh, essentially tension between staking an asset uh, and and the liquidity, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. either you can uh, delegate that asset and put it in the wallet, and uh, and and basically delegate to a node that that creates staking, and then you basically generate interest, uh, or you can basically take that asset and go and trade it, or put it into some kind of DeFi protocol and so on. So what they get, what those guys basically created, is a platform in which you know, you can basically stake through them, but what they do, they give you a token back, right? So they mint you a, a token, essentially like, you know, a token as a representation to the fact that you staking with them and the rewards. And then you can go and use that token on the, on the liquid market and you can use it on DeFi or you can use it in trading. And um, it's a really powerful sort of, uh, I think, mechanism uh, in which uh, you, you can essentially tokenize any... Any type of uh, uh, any type of activity that exists on blockchain, and then you can basically use the tokenized tokenized form of that token or wrapped form of that token to to go and conduct a different activity. Yeah, it sounds like there's quite a diversity of like what you can do in terms of tokenization. Obviously, you know, banks clearing houses they want the the tokenized securities and the stable coins, and you know, the ability to do remittance and stuff like that. Um, and that's I didn't know that. You mentioned uh, tokenizing staking. Like, how does do you, how does that work? Like, I'm trying to picture that in my mind. Yeah, so so it's quite interesting. What they do is that basically, let's say you want to stake uh, ETH ETH two, right? That uh -huh. takes it. Uh, you know, uh, it takes it. It takes it. Uh, I think you need to lock it for two years, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. in in order for that to to work. Um, so you basically will deposit that that ETH with Stakehound, and actually, what they will give you for every ETH that you give them, you basically they basically tokenize that deposit, and they give you a token that represents that deposit. And that token is also a token on Ethereum, but you can go and take that. The token is basically a receipt, you know, against uh, the fact that you you gave them a. To tokenize, uh, to, to, sorry, to stake uh, that ETH, and then you can take that receipt. But because that receipt is essentially an ERC twenty token, you can go and basically do uh, whatever you want with it. You can go and trade it. You can put it in a DeFi. You can use it on Uniswap and so on. Right. So um, it's basically they they call it liquid staking. Is there like an actual value proposition to doing that, or is it more just to create something that you can speculate on? No, uh, I think I think it's actually a value, right? So basically, mm -hmm. the idea is that uh, you, if you have ETH today, right, then in theory, you can, in, in general, you can basically get like twenty percent uh, uh, staking rewards, right? Or if you, if you mm -hmm. deposit it into ETH, too. but then fortunately, it is locked, right? So let's assume that you had, I don't know, like a million dollars worth of it, right? And you say, oh, okay, I want that 20% interest, right? And you locked it into the 
into that into the smart contract and now it's locked and uh, and let's say like you know in six months you discover that oh you know i actually need some of it back and i actually need to transfer it i, I want to sell it right and and i'm you know michael I, i'm willing to buy it right mm-hmm. if you if you sort of like you know stack it yourself, then like you don't have any you, you you can exit that position and then like you know it's all gone like you know the staking I think, uh, but if you you know but but if you have basically a receipt for for that, then I can basically buy that receipt from you, and now that staking part is basically owned by me. The staking continues, and we just sort of transfer the ownership on that staking. So you can get really creative with this stuff, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just that, about everything. Yeah, the, 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 when I first heard about this, is sort of I say, wow, that's actually like a pretty interesting concept. That essentially, you can um, create a receipt on a certain activity, and then you can let that activity sort of continue in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you can basically trade like that receipt is already a token by itself, and that receipt can be can be traded as an ownership on that that process that is happening. Do you guys mostly or do your clients mostly want tokenization as like is that what you see the most or do they also want, you know, other types of digital assets for different things? To be very frank, most of our clients are still uh, in the very clear, you know, speculative because mm-hmm. domain, right? Uh, most of our clients are the biggest clients that core of the market or in terms of trading and 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 and, and enabling that trading and uh, the biggest thing right now is really the the influx of 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 institutional money and new money into investing in bitcoin i think you know the the reasons mm-hmm. are obvious to to as a as a mean to protect against the inflation and the global instability the, the geopolitical instability and everything that is happening on the back of the covid 19 so um, that's the vast majority of, of, of our clients. Um, uh, but if I'm basically looking at the, at the trends that evolve, then definitely the new trend that is really starting to emerge is the tokenization. And I think that people were talking about tokenization, were active around tokenization for about uh, two years. But I think that... Right now, it's it's really getting the momentum, and you see the real, the, like the significant players with, you know, quality inventory coming in and saying, okay, we're going to do it uh, now. It's prime time, and you know, investing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to basically putting the infrastructure in place to to do it properly. Um, you know, especially when you think about security tokens and things like that. There were attempts in the past to basically create markets for secondary markets and other security tokens. There is a lot of regulation that you need to deal with when you deal with securities uh, by virtue right. of the uh, asset class. And it doesn't actually matter if it's a physical security or token security or digital security, whatever. Eventually, you need to deal with the SEC and the respective global regulators. And they're very clear uh, rules of engagement uh, uh, around customer protection. You know, and we've all seen what happened in the last uh, couple of weeks with uh, right. GameStop, Robinhood, Reddit, you know, uh, it's, uh, if let's put it this way, if we thought, if we think that the ICO was a wild west, you know, clearly doing, dealing with securities in an unregulated way can be, uh, can have a, a very significant uh, 
digitalization and, uh, and and customer protection is is key there. Um, the good thing is that what we are seeing right now is that one, the really big players are coming to to the party, right? So it's like the real the, the real you know wealth management banks and the investment banks they are joining the party. And they, first and foremost, they have access to quality inventory, right? I think that was really missing because it's one thing to, you know, tokenize or issue securities of a hotel in Austin, right? But at the end of the day, the vast majority of the wealth or the money uh, globally wants to invest in things that they understand, right? That they have value, that there is enough research on like, you know, why those businesses are profitable and what's the the opportunity investing in them, right? People don't want to really speculate. They want to invest, right? Sure. So, 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 so um, that quality inventory that is coming in, I think is going to make it real. Um, and the second aspect is that those players, they have the relationship that you need with the regulators, right? So the regulators, frankly, you know, with how much they want to lean into innovation, at the end of the day, they want to understand that the folks that are going to charge this are people that with enough balance sheet that will be, you know, the grown-ups. And if something bad happens, they have way to cover it, right? And once those people mm -hmm. come in, they can work with them and they can adopt the regulation. And we've seen it, for example, from the SEC in the last uh, month or so, where they basically granted uh, five years, you know, no action for broker dealers that are going to work with uh, tokenized securities. I think, you know, this is just like groundbreaking in terms of, uh, the market that it, it, it is opening up. And it's that generally speaking, a result of like really serious players stepping in and telling the SEC, well, you know, if, if you're not going to allow us to do it, you know, the US financial system will fall behind our, you know, international competitors. Yeah, the, the SEC is a real pain in the ass, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's horrible to watch almost weekly them coming out and they're just in the news going after someone or inquiring about something. And um, it's, it's interesting how the idea of a security too is also starting to be pulled into question. I guess Ripple's done a pretty good job of, um, blurring those lines a little bit. Um, do you have an opinion on that too? Like I, I know that it was kind of a while ago, but they've been in the news like pushing back saying that to, to look at them like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And do you think that they kind of fall into the classification of a security possibly, or do you think that that's a little far-fetched? So to be honest, I'm not in the weeds in the, I was too yeah. busy to really follow all the, the saga over there. Um, you know, uh, I've read some news, uh, whether they fall into that or not, I, I, I'm, I don't know. And to be honest, I'm not, uh, you know, I have a degree yeah, no that I have a degree in computer science and physics, not in like uh, <laughs> securities law. Right. So I, I, I don't really know. Uh, what I do know is that, uh, you know, in some ways, I think that, it, you know, if they write, right, then, then there is a question of why it didn't happen sooner, right? Because I think that it's helpful when the regulators step in quickly, you know, and, and pour water on the, on the fire when, when 
you know, before <laughs> the fire, you know, right. the, the fire is, is too big, you know, when you come in and you basically pour water on the fire, well, and the, there is like already a wildfire, <laughs> it just creates more smoke than they're really just, you know, uh, taking the fire down, right? That's, that's I think, yeah. uh, maybe some of the lessons learned over there, but in terms of the actual case, I actually don't have a good visibility sure. and, and, uh, and view of that. Yeah, I guess there's a balance there, right? You know, and, and to degree, you do want regulators to step in, you know, in case something does get out of hand, but at the same time, you want them to, you know, kind of go easy because it can, you know, stifle innovation in some ways and set it back like it, it has for a couple of years. Um, but it seems that they're coming around to it and they're a little bit more favorable in terms of letting, you know, the industry grow around fintech and blockchain and crypto. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, I think that at the end of the day, I don't think we need to really venture into specific crypto or ICOs to see the effect of, uh, you know, of uh, an uncontrolled speculative consumer behavior, right? I think we've seen this enough over the last uh, month or so. And one would argue, you know, I think that uh, just looking at all this uh, Reddit uh, uh, saga, you know, one, one would argue that, uh, okay, you know, it's uh, <laughs> the democratic right of uh, any retail investor to trade uh, public securities. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think that the reality is, and, and I do know personally some of the hedge fund managers that, you know, were on the other side of the bat and like, you know, they lost a significant, I don't think anyone is sorry about what happened to them, right? I mean, it's, sure. it's, their, it's their game and they lost in their own game. But uh, what I can tell you is that you know, if you know those per people individually and you think, oh, you know, we, we crashed them, they lost like, you know, billion dollars. At the end of the day, those guys are so diversified and they're managing their own personal capital so well that, mm -hmm. you know, it's a small dent in like, you know, in, in their personal wealth, right? Whereas where you look at the, some of the comments and you read like the real articles about the people that are speculated on, uh, on that forum and, and through the mobile app, you see a lot of people that basically like, you know, lost everything they have, including by the way, entering into like significant debt of student loans and whatnot. Right. So there is sort of like, you know, this natural imbalance between, um, you know, taking, you know, sort of, think like the spectrum, there is a spectrum between investing and gambling, right? And mm -hmm. when it's uncontrolled, then essentially uh, a lot of it basically goes into, into, into gambling. And, you know, uh, I don't think it's uh, necessarily a thing that we should be all proud of. Like, you know, eventually if people really, like this is where I think the regulators should come in, right? They need to protect people from uh, uh, being carried away with that kind of activity and really protect them to make sure that they're they're guardrails from you know people losing all their money yeah yeah I, I do agree with that there's there's other side too that I'd push back on and say that you know there's there's a free market that needs to exist and continue on um, you know, I don't hate hedge funds either like I have no issue with hedge funds overall or with people that work at hedge funds but they were doing some pretty slimy stuff trying to drive gamestop to zero so some of the backlash, you know, you know, people going in wanting to buy GameStop and then forcing them out of their short position and um, and then watching them, you know, shut down trading and remove reviews on Google and Apple and censoring people. I, I think it highlights a bigger problem. Um, 
but yeah, to the degree there needs to be some, um, I guess, um, I don't know what the word is, but like a, a switch on the market at times, you know, to regulate it, but also there needs to be that consistent balance of there being a free market um, or else you're, you're going to keep having people that get pissed off and wanting to do stuff like we're seeing right now. Cause it's, we're in like what week two now and um, people are still going crazy buying Doji coin and <laughs> um, trying to pump something else in the stock market and trying to run up silver. And it's not necessarily healthy, but I mean, they're making a statement because you know, there's something inherently wrong. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't have any problem with people making statements and, and I'm the first to advocate for a free market. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, it's more the conversation, it's not the conversation around specifically, you know, what Google did. Uh, uh, I, I disagree with like, you know, a lot of the things that happened there from, I guess, that conspiration, you know, against yeah. the, the retail. But I'm just saying that, like, if there was a point in time in which you'd say the regulator should have stepped in. It should have actually been fairly early over there, not to get let, mm-hmm. not to, to let it all of it like you know get out of control. Now it's sort of you know out of control. I honestly think they're moving too slow on it. I, I think with the outrage, they should be stepping in faster, you know, to kind of solve this because it's just not healthy to see the markets this volatile, you know, for the stupidest reasons. Like if you're seeing Nokia in GameStop, <laughs> um, you know, spike. Um, it, it's it's just kind of funny. I don't know. I've, I I kind of laughed watching GameStop become a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, but now actually to take it back to our market or where we operate, right? I think that uh, so much criticism was uh, was driven uh, towards uh, how 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 you know volatile the cryptocurrency market and how volatile is Bitcoin and you know uh, mm-hmm. and uh, some of those things. You know, first and foremost, I think we now see that. Well, there is nothing that prevents the traditional market from uh, the same phenomenons happening over there. And I think that actually in many ways, what you see with Bitcoin and some of those things is that under stress, they actually operate better than uh, the traditional market, right? Like some of the Mm -hmm. issues that you see there in terms of like, you know, naked charts and things like that, right? They, They just, because of the nature of the bare asset, uh, they they can't really happen right in the, in with, with crypto and and also like you know some questions around chain of custody and the clearing and all the things that basically went into this huge stress they naturally being solved uh, by you know the 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 blockchain right and and that's why I think that in there inevitably this is the future of all this. Yeah, I think we're starting to watch it unfold too in front of our eyes. There's so much value shifting into these crypto markets, into digital assets, into different blockchain platforms, and it's an exciting time. Um, yeah, I had a couple see. more questions. Sorry, I had a yeah, couple and, more and, questions. And, about, maybe, uh, and maybe to add to that, that basically oh, we're ahead, actually seeing it. all this, like you know, all this use case around real, you know, Fortune 500 companies basically allocating treasury towards Bitcoin because. Mm-hmm. Uh, they understand now that this is a, a valuable asset class that can essentially protect them or, or serve as a certain hedge against uh, other types of assets that they can hold on their balance sheet. Yeah, and it does add more to Bitcoin being a store of value now that you have so many large companies, institutions putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, like millions and millions of dollars. So I think it's at this point hard to argue Bitcoin not being a store of value. 
and it just seems like that shift has started to actually happen for the first time. And it's just, I don't know, it's just fun to watch all this. I think it's a very exciting times. In terms of, you know, your clients wanting, you know, digital assets for, you know, many different reasons, are they on their own in terms of like security for this stuff? Or do you guys also help provide like some type of multi-layer security or guidance on that? Um, or what role do you take? Yeah, so we basically provide, I guess we should uh, explain it at the very beginning, right? So what we provide them is two types of, uh, actually two main technologies. The first one is basically a secure wallet infrastructure, which we call the Fireblocks Vault, that is, uh, in effect, uh, a multi-layer secure wallet technology uh, with real-time accessibility. So we actually were able to merge the really high-end requirements around security and governance with speed, which is a very non-trivial thing to solve for, for you know, just journey in cybersecurity. And the way that we do it is through a combination of uh, uh, an advanced uh, encryption technology that's called MPC or multi-party computation that removes the single point of failure of a private key. And on the edges of those te that technology, we actually also enforce hardware protection, which gives this a multi-layer security approach. So it's a bit like, you know, if you wanted to protect your house, you have locks on the door, but you also have an alarm. Um, and the second capability that we give them is what is called the Fireblocks network that allows them to do very secure settlements with one another. So it's all on chain. It's not like some kind of layer two in that sense. But mm -hmm. uh, what it does, it basically removes all the all the risk around deposit addresses. So how do I figure out that uh, I'm actually sending to your wallet and I'm not being spoofed and sending it to someone else? So that's mm -hmm. a really important and fundamental shift in the way that financial institutions and corporates currently work. Uh, I hope that one day we'll figure out also how to, to bring it to retail. There are some challenges over there in terms of security and, 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 and but for at least like, you know, for the corporate space or for, for the um, business, business organization, it actually works quite well. And it sort of unleashed the speed of their operations. What were the issues with bringing it to retail, the security issues? Yeah, well, one of the things that clearly we are solving is that we sort of authenticate who is on the other side. And when we are doing it with enterprises, we have enough means to essentially authenticate them in the first place when we onboard them into the system, you know, well, you know, we do diligence them, you know, license agreements, uh, they need to provide us their corporate address and things like that. Right. So we know who are, who is the entity behind it. If you want to open it for retail, you essentially need to figure out how to do it in a very high scale. I think that uh, it ties into potentially other projects around digital identity that are currently being worked on. I think that, uh, down the road, um, we would potentially be able to utilize that digital identity uh, protocols to basically enhance and, and, and essentially take another step sort of downstream to, to, to um, expand the network. But the, the challenge of basically preventing spoofing or phishing and making sure that uh, you are who you are on the enterprise space or in the institutional space is very different. Like if when you do it on hundreds or like you know, even thousands of entities, it's very mm -hmm. different if you need to do it on millions or like tens of millions, right? 
So your clients, obviously a lot of them are financial institutions. Are you seeing interest outside of just finance for, you know, digital assets like in agriculture or big pharma or um, real estate or any of those other niches that blockchain seems to really fit? Yeah, I think we, we're starting to see it. So funny enough, I had a conversation with uh, a really big pharma uh, company that uh, is distributing uh, some of the vaccines and they mm-hmm. actually say like, you know, some kind of POC phases of using blockchain to do supply chain tracking on how they do the shipping around the, the, the vaccine globally. Um, you know, like sensors that are basically attached to the ship, shipment and, and, and track the chain of custody on the on the actual shipment so i've seen that it's it's emerging i think it's i, I you know for example ernest and young is involved in the in the project where they do it for wine bottles um you know there were several attempts from others as well um i think it's emerging i think it's not it's not a use case that was still like you know figured out properly but definitely there is a use case over there and i think that once this thing actually will go into full production the combination between um, like the, the digital assets that are money, right? Like for example, stable coins to, mm-hmm. for example, supply chain, it actually solves trade finance because now you can actually create smart contracts. For example, when, you know, uh, a shipment arrives into to the dock, it automatically pay, pays the taxes and, and releases it. So there are a lot of innovation that is, being thought, but you know, we are, I think, a year or two away from that this really materializing. And I do see projects in the real retail, uh, sorry, in the real estate, uh, real estate uh, space. Uh, over there are quite a few exciting things. Yeah, I, I keep seeing all all these guys pop up in the news, like in pharma with like contact tracing and stuff like that, and supply chain, and then like agriculture and. Um, Real estate's a big one. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how diverse you know these digital assets can get even outside of finance. But I, I really think finance is going to be the biggest use case to really highlight what they can do. Yeah, I think that this is sort of the entry uh, point, uh, the finance, because uh, the mm-hmm. use cases are, are, are fairly clear and um, the story is very clear. In the other verticals, I think that some of them will be following you know, closely behind, but it, it will also happen. And once that happened, there will be this sort of convergence between the finance and, and, and those use cases. Yeah. The 2021 might be the year. So we'll see what happens. Michael, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks for talking about Fireblocks and expanding and diving into what you guys do. And we had a couple of fun conversations here. Um, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um, stay safe, stay healthy. Don't get coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, we'll try um, not to. <laughs> we'll try we'll to get a vaccine. Soon. Yeah, appreciate the time <laughs> and uh, looking forward for the episode. Sounds good. Thanks, man.